Let's pray. Lord, would you have mercy on us as we come back to the rhythms of grace, this wonderful worship service that you're writing into us to remind us of your rescue in Christ, to fill us by your Holy Spirit, to correct us. We come confessing our need for you, that we might be filled with your grace and mercy, turned from sin and sent into Santa Fe with joy to re-enchant the world. I pray as we think this morning a bit about leadership and membership, as we think about elders and pastors, as we think about our people, as we think about shepherding, Lord, that you will remind us that you are the king and the head of your church, that all glory is yours, and we are so thankful that you have led the way as a servant leader. Lord Jesus, that you did not come to be served, but as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you came to serve and give your life as a ransom for many. Amen. Let's do a little T-Rex. If you've heard of Dorothy Sayers, anyone? All right. You're a pin drop. How about C.S. Lewis? Okay. How about Tolkien? Yeah, okay. Now we're done. So there's a group. Was it Oxford or Cambridge? John, come on. You're the historian. Oxford, right? Oxford? We're going with Oxford. There was a group of writers, thinkers, intellectuals in that day, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, and a brilliant young woman named Dorothy Sayers. In fact, uh, if you read Dorothy Sayers, I, I tend to think her writing is some of the best. And She's going to begin our service this morning with an appropriate quotation. It is worse than useless for Christians to talk about the importance of Christian morality unless they are prepared to take their stand upon the fundamentals of Christian theology. It's a lie to say that dogma does not matter. It matters enormously. It is a fatal flaw to let people suppose that Christianity is only a mode of feeling. It is vitally necessary to insist that it is first and foremost a beautiful and rational explanation of the universe. It is hopeless to offer Christianity as a vaguely idealistic aspiration of a simple and consoling kind. It is, on the contrary, a hard, tough, exacting, and complex truth steeped in a drastic and uncompromising realism. The brutal fact is this. Even in a Christian country, and she's in the UK at the time, that not one person in a hundred has the faintest notion of what the church teaches about God or society or the person of Christ. So this is the church's great opportunity to think not only about why she believes, or excuse me, what she believes, but why. The task is not made easier by the obstinate refusal to a great body of nominal Christians, both lay and clerical, to face these theological questions. Take away theology and just give us some nice, sweet religion. It's been a popular slogan for far too long. So we must require whether religion without theology has any meaning at all, and however unpopular I may make myself, I shall and will affirm for the reason that the reason why the churches are so often discredited today is not that they are too bigoted about their theology, 
but the opposite. They have chosen to run away from it entirely. Dorothy Sayers, fire. And that's why we're doing this series that we're calling Rhythms of Grace, and we're thinking about the elements of our worship service. Because I don't know about you, but I've been church a long time. And it's easy to just come and go through the motions and not think about the why behind the what and consider the beauty of these things that are truly designed to write us into the gospel story of God. Now, if you're visiting with us this morning and you're like, oh my Lord, what did we do? They're going to be talking about their own worship service. And worse than that, they're going to be talking about pastors and elders and leaders and membership. Be not afraid. Because it is from first to last about the grace and the goodness of God. And if you're visiting this morning, and I hope in God's mercy, we always have lots of people coming into this hospital who aren't Christians or who are struggling with doubt or who perhaps are in the midst of their trials. And you're thinking, you know, I'm not really here to think about any of this. I'm just a Ravens fan that needs to get right with Jesus. I hope that this morning, as we think about the rhythms of grace that God writes us into, you see that there's something for you as well. So last week, we're called into worship. This week, we're considering the fact that to be called into worship means that we are also covered in this worship. We are overseen. This is a called worship service. It's to be done in order and under authority. Now, that's a dirty word, man. It's 2019, and we're American. Yeah, I like the kind of, I like authority, like John Wayne authority. Take my own kind of authority. Authority? Are you kidding me? But here's the thing, and thank you, John. It's not a matter of if authority, but what kind of authority. Authority is like gravity. We are all under it, like it or not. It's not a question of if, but what kind. And, and, and so, yes, we are the called people of God who are called to be as sheep shepherded and overseen by those the Lord has put in places of servant authority, gospel oversight. That means that we need, as a body, care. It also means that we agree in humble honesty, and I will be the one, first one to admit it, that we need correction from time to time. We need to be called we need to develop and grow in our holiness and character and, and, and by the mercy of God all the way down. That's why Paul, when he writes these two pastoral epistles, okay, 1 Timothy to young Timothy, young, sweet, fearful Timothy in Ephesus, and to Titus, who's basically living in the Ibiza of the Roman Empire, okay, a little island, pleasure island, Vegas. He's living in Crete. He writes to these two and says, look, you're in the middle of a very challenging cultural context for your church. There's a lot of voices and a lot of things saying, do this, don't do this, compromise, let this be your God, or just come to Jesus like it's a, it's a buffet of the pagan idols. Take the stuff that makes you feel good and leave the stuff that doesn't. Paul says, no, you want a healthy church, right? Well, if you want a healthy church, and if that church is made up of, gasp, human beings then there needs to be checks and balances on power. There needs to be accountability. There needs to be responsibility. There needs to be oversight. The other reason I use these two passages here is because Paul uses the word overseer in Timothy. It comes from the Greek word 
episkopos. Some of you might hear the word episcopal. It is also from our English word bishop. But then in Titus, he uses the word elder, which is presbyteros. And some of you have heard the word Presbyterian if you've been around here very long. And I did this on purpose because Paul, when he speaks of the elders and pastors of the local church, uses these words interchangeably and synonymously. Paul is telling these young men, if you want a healthy church, then we need not only empowered members who have a voice, but also leaders who are going to lead folks to Jesus and leave them there. And we want that. We want oversight and care, and we want freedom. Nobody wants to micromanage anybody. We want to see the the saints equipped for the work of ministry, but kept on the trajectory of the gospel. Didn't we just sing this together? I don't know if you believe it. I struggle to. But if you don't believe it, don't sing it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Isn't that true about your heart as it is about mine? And so as we jump into these texts, I want to start here. Why does this matter to me? What a weird thing for a pastor to be preaching a sermon about pastors. And yet it's in God's word. And we don't get to cherry pick. And we preach the whole counsel of God. And so if it's there, it must be something we need to grow in the grace of Jesus. It is because we're prone to wander. As I was considering the text this week, I was just thinking to myself, man, do I need this. The the longer I'm a Christian, the more that the Holy Spirit through the word excavates the twisted stuff in my heart. The more I realize that I have a rebel heart left to my own devices. That I am indeed a sinner who is saved by the grace and mercy of God. And it's not just because I grew up skateboarding. Although that didn't help to fan the flame, I'll be honest. It's not just that I was skater Greg. It's that that is inside of all of us. We want to be the master and commander of our own ship. We want autonomy, autonomous, self-governing law. We want to live our lives based on our desires, affections, and what feels good in the moment and what we believe to be true. And I think for people that are you know, my age, maybe a little bit of a younger generation, this is, this is good. We need to hear this. We need to be reminded that authority is unescapable, so the question isn't if, but what kind, and also that it's good to be under loving and caring authority as long as there are checks and balances on power. But I think it applies across generations. I think this is universal, and I'm going to be honest to some of my, my folks in this room who are older than I am, fathers and mothers grandfathers and grandmothers to someone such as me. We live in a culture that's infected all of us with, you know what, I don't like what they're doing right now, so boop, change the channel. This place isn't meeting my needs and my preferences. I'm out of here. And universally, we are prone to wander and treat the church as if it were a theater instead of a familial crucible wherein God wants to prepare his children for the work of his kingdom as we do the messy gospel work of living out our lives together across our differences for something greater than ourselves. So here's Paul's main point this morning, I think. I think Paul's main point to Timothy and to Titus is this. We are God's sheep and God's children. Pastors, members, everybody in between, and we need covering and care. 
We need covering and care. We need God's decisive no to our inner dictator and despot. We need the Lord to provide a system of government that restrains our sin and promotes our joy and flourishing. And if you're doing well, if you're, if you're not fallen, if you're a, quote, good Christian, that's great. Praise the Lord. Fan the flame. But we must remember the words that we've heard so often, that but by the grace of God go all of us. But by the grace of God go all of us. And so if you're here, if this is your family, if you're a member of this church, it's tacitly an invitation to say, help me. Use me. I want to use my gifts to bless, and I'm making myself humble and available at the cross to receive hard words from one another that I might grow. I was thinking about, you know, what do I want us to leave with this morning? Okay, the main point is we need covering and care. Here's what I want us to leave with. I want us to leave with this. Joyful thanks to Jesus for the covering that he has put in place over us. And especially that he is the king who covers us in all of our worship and our salvation. So it may seem mundane. Perhaps it, it could seem a bit boring. But, but folks, can I commend us that this is a good thing? Not only to think about our worship, but the covering and care that we all have over us through Christ in that worship. So... How is it a rhythm of grace? I, I still feel like I haven't quite convinced you, so I, I'm going to try. How is this thing of membership and eldership, check and balance, living out life together, actually a, a rhythm of the grace of God? I believe it's a gift. I believe it is a gift that God not only puts people over us to guide us, but restrains, convicts, and, and humbles them all along the way. The first reason is this, because care and covering reflect the very person and, and nature of God. So not only is authority unescapable, but if we don't like it, then you don't have a problem with me, we don't have a problem with each other, we have a problem with God himself in his perfect and triune nature, unified, one God, but in three persons. I encourage you to go and read John chapter 17. It is a scandalous and humbling passage in which Jesus is, is verbose in his submission to the will and the goodness and the power of the Father. Again and again, Jesus says, Lord, it's your will. I submit to you. You don't hear Jesus say one time, you know what? I'm as much God as you are. What's the deal? But the Son delights in submitting to the, to the role of the personhood of the Father. And then there's the Holy Spirit. Oh, God bless the Holy Spirit. You don't ever hear the Holy Spirit going, you know what, I wish you guys would talk about me as much as you talk about the Father and the Son. And I wish when you do talk about me, you wouldn't say and do such weird things and misinterpret me. Instead, the role of the Holy Spirit and the triune nature of God is to exalt the finished work of Christ so that Christ the Son might give glory to His Father forever. So this covering and care reflects the triune nature of God. Not only God's being, but his action in the world. Consider the incarnation. Consider that Jesus took on flesh. The first became last. He became lowly. 
And he came to lead by moving toward the lowly and the broken as a servant leader. Again, I love that that wonderful passage in Mark chapter 10. Where where Jesus has just finished dealing with James and John. James and John, he's just told them for the third time that the Son of Man will be crucified and rise again. And what do James and John, two of the key disciples do? What do they decide to do? They decide to have a battle about who gets to be on his left hand and right hand in heaven. He's just told them, I'm the Messiah, I'm going to die. And they're like, okay, enough of that. Who gets more power in heaven? And as Jesus lovingly rebukes them, he ends with saying this, don't you know that the Son of Man, using that term from Daniel, showing that he's the King of the universe and the Savior, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So covering and care reflects God to us, but it also restrains our sin. It also takes very seriously, what we know to be true from history, a biblical anthropology that the more power a smaller number of people have, it's a bad thing. Do we all agree on that? The fewer people that have more power often tends to be worse for all. And I would be remiss to not say out loud that some of you here have been deeply hurt by pastors with too much power. Church leaders with too much power who neither have to submit to the word of God because they're always getting a new word from the Lord nor to members and elders because you know what? It's, it's a pyramid and they're at the top. And let me just be the one to say publicly, no. I don't care how cool the pastor is. <laughs> we don't have that problem here. All right? I don't care how cool he is. I don't care how, how, how sharply dressed he is, how tall he is like Saul, how, how incredible he is at his oratory and the delivery of his sermonizing. I don't care what a great leader is. I don't care if he went to Harvard Business School and then seminary and then back to Harvard and back to seminary again. Now, we need a covering of care that is diversified under the kingship of Jesus precisely because we need our sin to be restrained. We're not God. No one is the Christ. Not if they have more education, not if they think they have more power or more sway. No. We need our sin restrained. And to be honest with you, that's part of the reason I'm in this denomination. First of all, thank Jesus, there will be no denominations in heaven. Lord, haste the day. Haste the day. But that's part of the reason I'm in this denomination. Because I, I was a part of a great church, and I'm not even, in no way am I trying to, to undermine or, or degrade my, my brothers. But I was a part of a church that was, you know, elder-led. But the, the deal was, whenever the, the elders made a decision, that was it. Thus saith the Lord. Deal with it. And thank God they were good men. But part of what brought me into into being Presbyterian, as it were, was that we don't just have checks and balances in the local church between members and elders, but we have a presbytery. And I can assure you that it is not a good old boys club. I can assure you that if I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing and the elders find out, 
And this would not happen here, thank God. But if it did, and we circled the wagons to protect me because they need to protect their investment, that the members of this church in good standing, normal, ordinary members just like you and me, actually have a way to appeal to a higher authority. It's checks and balances. We need our sin restrained. And lastly, this covering of care is a rhythm of grace because we need godly servant leaders, humble men who know the word of God to keep us on vision. Because vision is a leaky bucket. God calls elders and pastors to keep us on the vision that he has given us. And it's not a vision of our preferences. It's not a vision of our circumstances. It's not a vision of the 10 things we would all change about this place and get in line. It's, it's the main thing. It's that we are here gathered and called and filled so that we can leave and walk with the people of Santa Fe. So that we can love our neighbors as ourselves. So that we can be friends with sinners and not treat them like projects and be weird, but instead lovingly invite them into our lives and our homes and share our stories of how we're rescued by the King. We need the word of God to be guarded. Peter and Paul and others repeat and repeat, guard the deposit, guard the gospel that was given to you. Guard it for your own joy because when you get off the gospel, you get into religion and there's nothing like religion to rob you of your joy. Guard it for your own joy and guard it for the great commission. Guard it for the purpose that God has given you in your lives which is to go in humility, on your knees, with mercy, and make disciples of all nations. So that's why this pastoral oversight, covering of care, is a rhythm of grace. Okay, well, what's the nature of the beast? A few things about the nature of this covering and care. Some, some contours about the gift. First of all, shared responsibility. I've already hit on this, but let me say again. This is not a top-down organization. Thank God. Because that would be a burden that I could not carry and it would ruin everybody here. You know what would be a lot easier though? It would be a lot easier if you guys would just take a vote for me and John to have all the power. What do you think, John? If you are wearing a tucked-in blue button-down shirt, which is this is like the official pastor wardrobe, raise your hand, okay. All in favor. Oh, how much easier it would be. Oh, but how much worse it would be. We're not a top-down organization where a few people, because they're the, the smartest or the godliest, make all the decisions. That doesn't take sin seriously enough. But, but nor are we, you know, a, a pure sort of Switzerland-type democracy where we just get to vote on everything all the time. And if anyone has any sort of bee in their bonnet, they can just call a congregational meeting and vote in and vote out whatever they like or don't. We don't have rule by the mob. Instead, we are all involved in this together through a balance of powers. I love what Paul doesn't say to Timothy and Titus. He doesn't say to Timothy and Titus, you know what? Church people are a pain. Church people are a pain. So when you start these new churches, make sure, I mean, come on, you're the church planter. You're the charismatic, fast-talking, good-looking church planter. So when you start these new churches, do whatever you can to protect your power. He says the exact opposite. He says, you're weak, you're feeble, you're infallible. Guess what? You're a man. You need help. 
So as you go and plant these churches, raise up your people in God's word and provide a system of oversight, a structure of governance that shares those powers. So it's not on anyone entirely except for Jesus. This takes so much of the fear out of the process and shows us the beauty of an upside-down kingdom where the leader of all is the servant of all. Mark 10, chapter, wrong. Mark chapter 10, verse 31. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So in church, when we talk about leadership and oversight and care and correction and protection, we're talking about humble servant leadership. We're talking about the shared responsibility of Ephesians 5. Submit yourselves to one another as in the Lord. That none are above the fray. That means that any of you have the right to come to me and say, you know what, man? And by the way, many of you have. That's what I love about this. As I look around, I see all you people. I know you people. Most of you. Some of you I don't. Yet, you're lucky. I will. But I know most of you and you know me and we know that none of us is the Christ. None of us is the Christ. And you all have the right to come to me and say, hey, man, I want to talk to you about this. I love you. I care about you. I see this. I want to help you. And I have that right as well. We share that responsibility. And here's how we share it. We share it with accountability, but real accountability. You know, when I was a a teenage boy, I was always in these little accountability groups. And basically, you'd all show up, and you were all struggling with the same thing. And you'd all look at each other and go, you struggled this week? Yeah, you did too. You did too? Cool. Let's play Tony Hawk Pro Skater. It was nice to have a place to talk about it, but there there was no teeth to it. So we have, we have teeth to our accountability. Not only do we have the, the balance between members and pastors, not only do we have the possibility of appeal, but we all have a voice here to weigh in on these things. Stole this quote from the interwebs this week. I love it. If Peter, with his rooster, is a leader in God's kingdom, we need accountability. Peter, unbelievable. If Thomas, with all of his doubts, is a leader, we need accountability. If John, with his penchant for the philosophical and his sensitivity, is a leader, we need accountability. If Timothy is a leader and and he's weak and he's scared and he's young, we need accountability. If Paul is a leader who could be overly harsh, and had quite a past to talk about, not to mention his current struggles with Romans 7. We need accountability. If Mary was a leader, but God knows she has bias, I mean, after all, it's her little baby boy, we need accountability. If the other Mary was a leader, and she was formerly a prostitute, we need accountability. If Martha is a leader, but she's prone to worry and busyness, we need accountability. Do you appreciate then how this works? Christ is the king and the head of his church. And yet he calls the weak and the feeble among us to servant lead and have authority, but authority that always circles in mutual submission around the glory of the king and his word. Amen. So we need 
accountability. It's not perfect, I know. It always looks better on paper. Checks and balances. But oh, it's so much better than the rule of the mob and it's so much better than the the top-down dictator. As messy as it is. And even this week, I was thinking about our friends in in China, Early Rain Church. We've talked about them frequently, our brothers and sisters in Chengdu. How recently Pastor Wang Yi was convicted on false charges in prison for nine years. You want to talk about paying a price for what you believe? You give me no Wi-Fi for nine minutes and I'm begging for mercy. So yeah, it's, it's messy, but thank God. Thank God we have it. This real accountability. The last thing I want to say about the nature of the beast, membership, eldership, leadership, and a covering of care is that it it is founded on and grows in the soil of ultimate fealty. That means that we have a particular posture to the word of God. And you're going to hear this as John and I continue to preach through the elements of our service. So in that sense, the elders, we sometimes refer to them as the session, they're not legislators. They don't make up laws. We don't get together as elders and, you know, make up new rules for the church. Instead, and I strain the analogy, it's, it's more like a court, perhaps the Supreme Court. We're given the word of God and it's our role in conjunction with this community to interpret that word and point people to Christ. God's word reigns. God's word interprets us. And I will confess to you that I do not always like it. Nor do I always get it. It's not only filled with mystery, but but it's also filled with things that come and confront me in my own need, in my own sin, in my own brokenness. But for those who lead in the church, their power is always derivative. So not only is leadership that of a servant leader foot washer, but the power itself is derivative. It is God who speaks through his word. So one pastor put it this way. I love this quote. He said, an elder without their Bible is an elder without any authority at all. Amen. So who can lead then? Who can lead? How does one qualify to provide this covering and care? Good question. And I want you to consider in our text what Paul emphasizes. I want you to consider what he emphasizes because doesn't it just turn the powers and principalities of the world up on their head? Has nothing to do with your success in life or your career? How many degrees are after your name? How much money you've made? The number of Stephen Covey workshops you've gone to? Your charming good looks or your rapier wit? All of these things about who is qualified to be a servant leader in the church of God have to do with character. They have to do with character. Paul says in both passages, they have to be above reproach. That doesn't mean you have to be perfect. And it doesn't mean you won't be reproached. Perhaps you will be accused. Perhaps charges will be brought against you. But when they are brought, you will be shown to be above that reproach. The charges will not stick. This is the person of character whose humble life in the gospel stands up to scrutiny. In the In the passage in 1 Timothy, there's a subtle rebuke there, and it's easy to miss. I don't know if you saw it, but Paul says, this saying is trustworthy. Hmm, what saying? Who says this saying? If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. 
You know what Paul's doing there? Paul is protecting young, weak, scared Timothy from people in this little church plant who, you know what? They want power. And that's in all of us. And Paul says, look, if you, if you desire to be an overseer, that's great. You, you, you know, Greco-Roman men of prowess with your businesses and your servants and all the things you've done. But guess what? It has nothing to do with that. It has to do not with power, but the pastoral call is a call to die. It's a call to take up your cross and follow Jesus while simultaneously taking up and bearing the burdens of the cross of others and bringing them to Jesus. And so in that sense, the call to leadership isn't, isn't for perfect people. It's not for the leaders and the chiefs and their perfection, but it's for those who are leading in repentance. Chief repenters, lead submitters, those who are full of compassion and humility and willingness to be slow to speak and slow to become angry and quick to listen. And they're not lovers of money and they're not coping with alcohol and they're not trying to have all these idols solve their problems, but they've been broken to the point that they know that Christ alone is sufficient. And that's the only thing they have to stand on to lead God's people to God's Son. This is a good quote this week. Trust me, if you think that leadership in the church is about getting more power, it's the opposite. Leadership in the church is for men to stand and confess their need in more weakness and in that to empower the weak unto the power of the gospel that they themselves do not possess apart from grace. To bear burdens, to visit the sick, to say the hard thing in love, late nights, long theological discussions, Eldership is so much more like Simon of Cyrene than it is like Pontius Pilate. Rather than load, lording your authority over those around you, you are the one who is called upon to take up the cross of another. So in that sense, when we talk about leadership and we talk about authority, we're not talking about the Inquisition. We're not speaking of the sin police. And we're absolutely not talking about people who present themselves as better, holier, and more godly than the rest of us. Instead, lead repenters. Those who do not deserve it, but by the grace of God, have been called in character and in competency to handle the word of God for our benefit. That's who can lead. The one who is not looking for leadership. The one who is not pursuing power. The one who is already leading silently in the background and being followed because they're leading people to Jesus and not themselves. The chief repenter, the lead confessor. And may God help me and John and the elders of this church to always do that. And it's hard. It's hard sometimes to stand in front of you and so publicly be so honest about my own need and brokenness and sin. But if Jesus is real, and this isn't just some joke, then we can have it no other way. We can have it no other way. So we end here. Who is sufficient for these things? Oh my gosh. You read all that stuff about money and households and children and didn't I, I mentioned we know each other, right? Who is sufficient for these things? 
And once you have come and fallen on your knees before the cross to ask that question in desperation, guess what? You're finally getting it. Who is sufficient for these things? And so we are back to the grace of God alone and always in the leadership of the church. Because those who lead are leading to the cross. And the only way you can lead to the cross is if you've already been there yourself. We are all so fallible. Members, pastors, elders, all of us, so fallible. So if our being covered in care, if our having checks and balances, the restraint of sin, the reminding of our vision, responsibility, accountability, if any of these things be true for us as a family, they are always true in that they lead us back to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He puts his money where his mouth is. He doesn't just talk about covering and care. He comes down and empties himself. He becomes lowly. He gives up his riches and his kingship. He takes on the form of a servant. He himself is slaughtered as a pure and spotless lamb so that we might wear the comfort and covering of the robe of his own righteousness. So in all these things, our need is Christ. Our King is Christ. For He alone is sufficient to cover us and care. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your Word to us. And oh, we know that so much more could be said about the, the nuts and bolts of how this all works and our roles and responsibility as members and Pastors and elders, so much more could be said, Lord, about, about these, these qualifications of character. I mean, one by one, we could go through these. One by one, we could go through these and beg for your help that we might grow in holiness because we know you have given your grace to us that we might respond in thanks and grow. And yet how none of us, no leader, no anyone is, is possibly able to be the Christ. No, Jesus, you alone are the one who has done all of these things perfectly. And that's the point. Because in our imperfections, we are not crushed. You do not add the niceties of religion. You do not give us to the authority of our feelings or the false gods. The siren songs that tell us, do more, be more, buy more, you'll be happy. No, you come to us and you cover us with your care. Amen.